The topics and events discussed in this podcast are relative to when this podcast was recorded. Please note that they may not necessarily reflect present circumstances. Hi everyone, this is the Grapevine Podcast, and today we are joined by members of the World Club, which is a pilot club at ISM committed to enriching scholarship in the field of social studies. Today's podcast is hosted by Rising Seniors. Hi, I'm Leela. Hi, I'm Priya. Suman. I'm Leela. Hi, I'm Zeki. I'm Wakin Lerma. And today we'll be discussing the 2020 U.S. elections and who are the different candidates, what is the political atmosphere as of right now, and we'll start with current President Trump and discuss more about his overall rankings and how he is thought to have done in his presidency and how that bodes for him going into the election seasons where less than 100 days are left for voting. Uh, one of the things I've realized and noticed about Trump is that uh, nowadays he's having uh, his GOP support his GOP support is waning, especially his support in general is uh, decreasing right now as due to how he's been responding to coronavirus measures. Since at times like these, when you need a strong leader and strong institutes, Trump is unable to show to his citizens that he can uh, he can lead this country, lead his country in a better manner through a better procedures. Furthermore, in this current atmosphere, it's technically the fight between Trump and Biden, unless you count Kanye West, which we'll discuss later about his sudden appearance to his presidency. So it's uh, so today we'll just be we'll be technically discussing two candidates. I mean, with Trump, the thing is he he's been a certainly a very interesting president. He did lose the popular vote to Hillary Clinton back in 2016, but he managed to win a lot of the flip over states with his with his votes to the Republican population. But recently, with his actions since his impeachment trials, he has had waning support from the GOP and even within Senate, his bills, his actions, his ideas have not been getting as passed as quickly as he had hoped, despite having a Republican majority in the Senate. Yes, and um, I, but I think one thing you got to consider is, um, so we know, we know, like we're get, we know that his support is waning. We know it's due largely to um, certain policy changes and certain measures his government has taken. But do most of his supporters know that? I'm not sure, because many of his it's really been proven that many of his supporters, many of the solid base, especially non-college educated voters, get a lot of their news from sources like Fox News, Breitbart News, or OAN and One American News Network. These sources paint a picture that Donald Trump is fighting against lawlessness and riots in major democratic cities, and Trump is focusing all of his effort on stopping it. In terms of the coronavirus response, these news outlets are reporting that most of the failures happen in democratic states with higher case counts. So because the two sides of America are living in very different media bubbles, do you think there will be this will impact Donald Trump's base in the long run up to the election? Honestly, I think it's really interesting that you bring up Trump's like handling of the virus and how like 
because of the way it was presented, it might not make such a huge impact when like already in a lot of southern states where coronavirus cases have like risen like tremendously, there has already been like a weaning of support, a significant weaning of support for Trump and his administration, right? Because although like only 45% of Republican voters do believe that like it's necessary to wear masks and are very dedicated to solving or to listening to like medical experts and helping end the crisis. In Georgia, for example, a lot of people, the case rate is going up. A lot of people's family members are dying. And that's a very significant change in um, uneducated white voters. This is like a huge issue and has like destabilized his support base. Even among like other senators who are Republicans, this has been a significant issue. I think, yeah, but what's happening right now is um, Donald Trump's response to this is he has attacked Dr. Anthony Fauci and the team responsible for addressing this um, crisis. They're actually even blaming the exacerbation on, of cases on people like Dr. Fauci. And in fact, a significant amount of his supporters believe that a lot of this is a conspiracy to sell a vaccine patented by Bill Gates. I believe it was something like half of Fox News vote viewers, which is a predominant channel in these states, believe that. So in the end, what could be happening is that Trump may manage to spin the narrative to, instead of making it his fault, make it the fault of the public health experts and the coastal ivory tower elites who the states already resent a lot. No, I agree. I mean, there's also something to consider about the incumbency effect, which is very popular in American politics. I mean, we've always seen this, especially considering scandals that have affected presidents that were impeached, but they still regained power and were able to become presidents again. I mean, think we think of Johnson and then we think of Bill Clinton. So there is certainly an incumbency effect taking place that many people pre-March 2020 thought would lead to a Trump victory. But now things are a lot more diluted because of his handling of the Black Lives Matter movement, coronavirus, and just a lot of policy that are not proving to be as useful as he may have thought it to be. Trump's success or defeat in 2020 hinges on his support among two major groups. Number one is the non-college-educated white voter, and number two is the white evangelical Christian vote. Trump won both of these groups of people by huge margins in 2016. If he wants a shot at winning the White House, he needs to uh, retain or even expand on his support with these two groups. Right now, the evangelical Christian vote appears to be holding up based on the latest Pew Research Center polling. Uh, taken, I think, in late June 2020. His support among non-college-educated white voters is softening a bit, though, and in particular among white working-class voters, which are a, a subset of the non-college-educated white vote. This is crucial because these white working-class voters were key to Trump's success in the Rust Belt states. Uh, if Trump loses even a, a fraction of the white working class vote in these states, he may end up losing the election completely. Another group Trump needs to keep track on are the college-educated white voters. Typically, in presidential elections, Republicans and Democrats 
uh, generally split the college-educated white vote. But lately, these voters have been making have been moving sharply toward the Democratic Party. I think Trump, according to the latest polling, is losing or trailing in the polls uh, for college-educated white voters by double digits. Trump needs to prevent the hemorrhaging of college-educated white voters to the Democratic Party in order to uh, maintain his, his competitive position. However, there is a, a silver lining for, for Trump, and something Biden needs to keep tabs on, is that Trump's support among Black and Latino voters has not really wavered in the midst of this pandemic. Trump's support among Black voters is consistently around 10%, and among Latinos, consistently at about 30%. And support for Biden in the primaries among, among Latino voters in particular is quite soft. And uh, you know, if Trump wishes to make a comeback, he needs to make inroads with Latino voters. Um, yeah, so I think one thing that Zeki brought up was, that I'd agree with at least, was the fact that the Black and Latino voter base that Trump already had has remained relatively secure. And, you know, the 10% of Black voters who did vote for Trump are still, like, being polled and, you know, still showing that they will continue to vote for Trump. But I think where I'd kind of disagree and diverge from what Zaki's saying is that because of Trump's actions and response to the Black Lives Matter, like, movement, and especially towards what he's been saying in regards to you know, the death of George Floyd, I don't think that's as significant as it might have been made out to be, especially because the majority of Black and Latino voters are registered Democrats. Yeah, I guess one thing about, um, as you mentioned, most um, minority and uh, voters of color are registered Democrats, but they are also, it's also countered by the fact that most Minority and person of color voters live in states that are going to go solidly Democratic anyway. Because of the Electoral College, only a few states really matter. And because these people are in states that don't matter, they are not the voters that Trump or Biden or need to court to really swing this election to the victor. In 2016, you had Hillary Clinton winning college grads, minority voters, um, female voters, and many historically marginalized groups in majority. And because of that, she won the popular vote. However, because of the Electoral College, the election was still given to Donald Trump, who happened to win just the needed amount of voters. These um, older, wider suburban voters to win the presidency. There's also the, another problem with a lack of individuals actually voting. A lot of individuals are able to vote, but during 2016 with, with Hillary and Trump, I don't know the exact number, but th there were a huge majority of individuals who didn't vote and that those votes could have mattered, could have really changed the results if they just took the time to vote, which, is, which a lot of people are trying to prevent in the new upcoming election since they a lot of people don't want like trump to win anymore or like get their votes like not counted towards because of the electoral college system so 
Yeah. Mm, that's true. I mean, if you think of there's talks about Texas going blue for this election, which which hasn't happened since like Jimmy Carter back in like the seventies, eighties, and I think this election, with the polarization since twenty sixteen, is going to be a very monumental decision, especially in the wake of the coronavirus and like how we are considering our stance on globalization, immigration. Pandemics and nationalism in with a very different perspective. Yeah, I'd agree with that, and I'd also say that I think it does matter because in states like Florida, where there is a large Latino population, even though in the past and historically minority groups in um, majority Republican red states have not voted as often or as frequently, I think that you know, what we saw after Trump was elected, the response in 2018 with the Senate and House, like, elections, right? There was a huge voter turnout from minority communities in a lot of, like, previously, like, solid red states. There are now more Democratic governors and senators and House representatives. So I don't know about, like, we've been previously talking about, like, the Latino and like Black voter, minority voter populations. And I think one danger there is within the fact that Biden is just not very popular with the youth and Latino and Black voters, voters who tend to be more progressive to the point where there are many people who would rather not vote for, you know, anyone at all than vote for Biden, even though they would have voted voted for, let's say, a more progressive candidate like Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm, That's true. I mean, he is definitely a more moderate Democrat compared to the very leftist candidates that we've seen, like Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, who dropped out. Honestly, I think right now uh, the U.S. citizens and individuals need to think of uh, the lesser of two evils. It's between choosing, these candidates are not perfect, and everyone knows that. It's between choosing which candidate will move the country forward the best. Personally, you have to think about the effect each candidate will have or has done, like, to the country so far. Like, although Biden, it seems like he hasn't done much to the country, has Trump, like, properly progressed the country forward with, with amidst the coronavirus? So that's a question. It's the lesser of two evils at this point. And the thing I note about the progressive crowd is um, that these um, Black and Latina voters um, and these, um, yeah, these historically marginalized groups, they may not be pro-Biden, but they are definitely anti-Trump. And most of the time, when they go to the polls, this is very likely to reflect that. When Bernie Sanders lost the 2016 primary to Hillary Clinton, you had a lot of disappointed people. But in the end, over like 90% of Democrats turned out for Hillary Clinton, which is on par with President Obama's elections and almost every other election in the past. Mm, that's true. I mean, while Biden may not be popular with a lot of the younger voters, he certainly is popular with a lot of the older, like, more moderate voters that may tend to lean Republican for some some elections, perhaps the previous election, but may lean Democrat now because, again, he is definitely more centrist and 
that might chip away slowly at Trump's vote because, again, like Leo said, it's the lesser of two evils. I guess he's a good mix in the sense that he's moderate enough that those marginalized Republicans are willing to switch over to him. And at the same time, he's able to get the progressives who really don't like Trump. And so I think he has a relatively strong platform as long as he doesn't make any blunders um because you know he's been noted to have uh to be prone to making really bad mistakes so i think as long as he keeps his ship afloat he should be able to uh draw in from all sides and i think that that will be enough well it should be enough to make him have a competitive ad- uh, advantage against trump yeah one reason why Trump had such a decisive victory among swing voters in the last election was because Hillary Clinton spent her whole life working in politics in some way, shape, or form. But Donald Trump was seen as an outsider who would change the system. So many people, and at the time so many said the country was going on to the wrong track, many of these people then turned out for Trump. He had that outsider's advantage, but now he no longer has that. So, and yet the country has a record number of people saying that the country's on the wrong track. So I feel like one of Trump's single greatest advantages in 2016, he no longer has. And people, when they look at Trump versus Biden, they're going to look at not just Biden's record, but Trump's record and not just his rhetoric. One thing I find really interesting with the Biden campaign is when Biden gave a speech in Pennsylvania about three weeks ago, uh, laying out his economic vision for the United States and his initiative to build back better, uh, and in particular, his other message about buying American and ensuring that American jobs are protected. This echoes the rhetoric that Trump had uh, he used in the 2016 election you know, this brand of populist economic nationalism that you know, that he had uh, used to get him into the White House. Biden is um, traditionally, been, well, Biden has been generally weaker on the economy than, than in most other issues. So this is not a surprising campaign strategy. But it is a vindication for Steve Bannon and other economic nationalists you know, because uh, you know, this has been something uh, that they've been long calling for in the fight against you know globalization, you know, the backlash of, of working class voters against free trade, NAFTA, and globalization. So it is likely that even after uh, you know, this election, whoever wins the election, it is likely that this brand of economic nationalism that, that Trump had used so radically changed the, the, the landscape in the United States will continue, and this will be the new normal, regardless of who is elected to the White House. Yeah, so I definitely agree with Zeki that um, I think Biden might be more of a progressive candidate than many people suspect, especially when taking into account his new um, climate change plan, which it's a tremendous proposal. It's a $2 trillion proposal. And then also when taking into account um, which VP he may or may not choose. I think that for the most part, his attempts to kind of like woo more progressive younger voters may be effective. Mm. That's true. I mean, 
uh, with Biden and Trump, there's certainly a large divide. And Biden does seem to be a lot more softer, especially with economic policies. And like, he just hasn't been as much seen in the news recently. What do you guys, uh, moving, moving on, on from, from Trump, Trump and Biden, Biden what, what do you guys think about uh, Kanye, Kanye West suddenly running uh, last, last month, month, I think? Or maybe, or maybe two, two months, months ago? ago? I think more than anything, it's not so much a political issue as much as a mental health issue and like how um, like celebrities are perceived. Because uh, to be like, at first people were speculating that he could potentially draw away black voters from Biden but he kind of self-destructed and like at this point i find it really unrealistic for him to stay like even put up any fight given that his campaign's imploding with all of his um tweeting and um his mental health uh issues that are emerging right now yeah i mean he missed a lot of the deadlines for several states and barely managed to get through with tennessee and again, uh, I was reading this article, which is about his struggles with bipolar disorder since the death of his mother. And I think, yeah, a lot of people are just taking it as a joke. But I think what's more worrisome is that people taking it as a joke and actually writing his name in the ballot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And in the end, I guess the thing with um, Kanye West is... Well, he had a campaign rally in South Carolina a week ago, and a lot of people went that rally are coming out of it saying that it was a huge embarrassment. He was absolutely unhinged and was going on and on about his own personal life and issues. So, I mean, I think it's really a case that this guy needs to um, set his priorities straight. That's true. We don't have, like, proper, like, proof that he's of how good he is as a leader and how good like what change he's gonna be like we know we know as youth and as like youth we know Kanye West is a singer so it's suddenly weird to just see him in the presidential camp as like a taking on a role as a in the presidential campaign yeah I know Kanye has an album coming out in a bit so I have a feeling this has something to do also of drumming up publicity for his album release. So moving on, shall we talk about the administration's COVID policies, COVID responses? Yeah, I feel like how uh, the U.S., how the U.S. government has responded to the COVID virus and how they've responded to like all these events happening, like the Black Lives Matter movement and, uh, and police brutality really changes and influences the approval ratings of each candidate. I read from the statistic from Forbes that 58% disprove of Trump's handling of COVID-19. And there's just more people realizing that how he's leading the country is not taking the country into a a good light. Mm, I mean, if you think about, I'm thinking about Portland right now and like the misinformation on the news portrayed as Padilla said about being in riots, whereas it's more of much more nonviolent, a lot a lot about police brutality. I think people with this lack of information, especially that is exacerbated by staying at home and not being able to visually see, picture the scene, I think it causes a lot of confusion. 
Yes, definitely. And what makes it more uh, confusing is that sometimes Trump's Trump's words, a lot of the times, not even sometimes, don't line up with his actions. Like he'll say, "Oh, we're doing so well in testing, but it takes weeks to get these tests." And they're and like him saying that he said deploying fe- when he was deploying federal agents to Portland without the discretion of other uh, state governments, he was saying it for safety. When in reality, you can see that uh, from like the other news sources that it's not really for safety. It it's a it's for control of the state. Mm-hmm. It seems a lot. Like, I mean, we talk about these books like The Hunger Games, Fahrenheit 451, about regimes taking control of our press, our censorship. And I mean, while the U.S. hasn't exacerbated to that level yet, I mean, the fact is they're shutting off Portland from the rest of the world. And like, he's spreading misinformation about himself by wrong statistics. And he's constantly being fact-checked, but like, to what degree? Because people are still believing him. I think the problem, though, is that, like, although the Portland thing is definitely a newsworthy issue, part of the problem is the media keeps on focusing on this political side instead of making sure that people are properly informed in the health aspect. Um, like, f- although the Portland riots are definitely important, it's just, I feel like, the things that we sh- should show that should show on the news would be things uh informing people of covid related tips advice etc and like the administ- instead of um the federal agents uh going into portland yeah i mean i mean it's sort of, it's, and it's sort of hypocritical because you have all these big Republican uh, don't president who don't necessarily endorse wearing masks. They hold rallies without masks, and then it's giving people this impression that some uneducated voters said, "Oh, it's okay. This is not as bad as it seems." But then the death rates are so high, and I think like just he is not doing a good job, at least at creating the prevention aspect of it, especially because he's not keep holding the disease as widespread or as efficient in hurting our health as it is. Trump's also using uh, like a lot of conspiracies. He's using these conspiracy theories, uh, theorists and like these individuals who have no background in like scientific knowledge and like supporting them in a way to to respond to the people like on Twitter and like his U.S. citizens that everything's fine. I mean, there'll still there will be people that will still definitely like believe what he's saying. But I think people are starting to realize that a lot of the things he's saying are do not line up with his words and are problematic. I'm guessing, although uh, because of like how drastic he's taken these conspiracies, more voters will start supporting him less absolutely the conspiracy issues are a problem and i think there are some people who like are kind of waking up to the extent of how crazy they are but i think in addition to like the medical misinformation what and scientific misinformation one of the other huge issues with his conspiracy theories is that with the upcoming vote right he is completely against the idea of absentee ballots he has even refused to go on record about whether he would accept, you know, the elections if 
the majority of ballots were done through absentee ballots, which is absolutely, you know, voter suppression. Exactly. I mean, that uh, the fact that he has to say that really shows that there is some concern and misunderstanding on his side that he may not win if it's all based if it's done primarily on absentee ballots, which are, which bodes not so well for him, especially in the upcoming days. Yeah, and I think that increasingly with the number of states that are instituting and are now like making an effort to actively not accept, you know, absentee ballots, like in Texas, medical vulnerability is not um, accepted as a reason to submit an absentee vote. And in Oklahoma, you now have to have um, your absentee ballot notarized. So like in these states that are, you know, potential swing states, especially, they're like limiting more and more how people can actually vote. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, people that are more educated about the virus, college educated, who watch, who are keeping up with the health information, Maybe more, maybe more like unlikely to go to these uh, voting stations and vote, whereas people that are less that have less information about the virus may turn up, and these tend to be rural Republican voters. So there's it is certainly advantageous if Trump manages to decree or decrease the number of absentee ballots. Especially in his favor. Yeah, I, I personally know many of these, um, some of these rural Republican voters that Suman was just talking about. I, a lot of them have, I like to say they're long gone because a lot of them have, um, they take Trump and only Trump and his um, news sources as their sources of trustworthy information. Many of them don't believe the virus is severe many of them believe it's just the flu so um yeah that's one issue it's not just a pandemic itself that we're combating it's also a pandemic of dis and misinformation um so lastly we're just going to touch uh largely on the campaign platforms of the candidates talking about their economic platforms foreign policy which may not which may be not relevant as of right now but in the near future will be extremely relevant as we recover this in this coast uh, covid-19 recession and the very strange estranged uh foreign relations especially with country with places like the EU China and whatnot uh, on foreign policy it is uh, to me Quite interesting that Trump and Biden are appearing tough on China, competing to be a tougher candidate on China. I think this is part of, you know, again, that economic nationalism that they're trying to promote. Uh, but it is also an issue that both Republicans and Democrats in Congress generally agree on. So it's not surprising to me that this is the case. But it's clear that this also is the result of a of a long term shift uh, in foreign policy of the United States, which had generally been involved in the Middle East for the last few decades, but it's now you know, pivoting back to, you know, to to Asia, in particular China. So I don't expect you know, Xi Jinping uh, and the Communist Party of China, you know, to uh, to expect 
much relief after the election because it is likely that both candidates will try to be tough on China. I don't think it will be so consequential to the election at all because you know I I generally take the position that all politics is really domestic in nature. So whatever they whatever messages they give about China are likely to to play into you know this message of economic nationalism that they're trying to promote. One more thing that I want to to take uh to to give to you is that even though Biden is traditionally seen as the more moderate candidate in his party, he has the potential to be a you know quite a progressive and and radical president if he if he wins the election. He's already made it clear that he's willing to you know to spend more you know investment on the economy and in, in particular in fighting climate change. Uh, so I think this might Biden's election may might be the beginning of a post-populist America, uh, where he is able to find a, a you know, compromise between the, the progressive and the more centrist wing of his party and you know and, and try to heal some of the you know the the tension and the divide in the United States that, that has you know persisted you know since uh since the campaign four years ago. I mean with the economic recovery post coronavirus we must think of like like the US had the 2 trillion dollar stimulus package but how helpful is it going to be especially since we think about like the upcoming election and the policies used by these big democrat parties republican party with the rallies that are being held i think it certainly dampens the expensive outlook of the election that it brings upon and also makes us consider about trade relations in the future. Yeah, what I, what I found interesting was that um, Biden adopted a moderate economic position. I guess he really wants to, he's, he acknowledges that the key to this election will be the moderates that are normally Republicans and then are on the swing because of Trump's actions. So I think he wants to um, draw them in. I'm, I'm just not sure how that's going to work with the progressives and those that are fans of globalization. Like, I feel like he might end up marginalizing or distancing himself from the progressive base. And I'm just concerned that he might lose his competitive advantage if he adopts too moderate of a stance. Mm, that's true. Also, it's kind of strange that he has a very detailed economic standpoint, considering in the past, it wasn't that common. Well, they did have an economic standpoint of trade relations, especially in concerns to NAFTA, the US-China trade war. But... This was certainly a new standpoint. And I think for a lot of his more educated voters, it did give them a sense of like, oh yeah, this is what's gonna be happening. So I like this idea, we should vote for this guy. But again, it may not resonate as well with the rural voters who may not have the the knowledge of the jargon that is used within such such trade agreements, trade policies, and the standpoints that they stand on. 
Well, anyway, about U.S. You know, U.S. foreign policy now. It seems that Mike Pompeo has the Trump Secretary of State has now gone on the offensive. He has attacked China, Iran, and many other countries. And of course, what's ironic was that back in 2012, Donald Trump tweeted, "In order to get in order to get reelected, Barack Obama will start a war with Iran." Generally, engaging with enemy countries and playing the strongman gets your approval ratings up and the resurgence of patriotism. I think that's really what Pompeo State Department is trying to do under um, given the circumstances, especially with Trump saying, using terms like the China virus domestically to describe the um, pandemic. They really want to paint this as a fight against an invisible enemy outside of the United States rather than a domestic issue. Yeah, that's only been aided by the fact that was it last week that the embassy, uh, the consulate in was it Houston got uh, was forced to they were forced to leave, and I think Trump is trying to shift away attention from the coronavirus, and is trying to really get voters to just look at how tough he is against the invisible enemy that uh, Padilla mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's certainly very reminiscent of the Cold War times when we had the invisible enemy was communism and the USSR, and it's shifted this dynamic to China and Xi Jinping, which has certainly been exacerbated by the virus. Uh, furthermore, with uh, with the foreign policy, we must consider immigration and the recent ICE policy that was revoked on the F1 visas being not allowed to stay in the US if the colleges weren't going to be open to having in-person classes. Personally, it kind of got me confused why uh, Trump would establish the ICE uh, F1 visa like denial because Trump is trying Trump is preventing colleges from not pre- exactly preventing but he's like preventing and making it harder for international students to get in the country and study and he's saying it because oh it's for the protection of the state because they might bring covid but at the same time he wants to open elementary schools and public schools and he also uh like before like he was the one that originally encouraged not using masks so it's like his his i feel like right now he's using uh covid as a reason to uh apply like these uh rules and like regulations like the ICE F1 visa like like the denial to non-citizens and like he's using covid as like a way for him to gain not necessarily gain more power but gain more leverage and like have the situation like benefit him some way it was very hypocritical because wasn't it his one of his old tweets that was like, oh, we're very accepting of international students who want to study here in the United States. And I think as rising seniors, it got a lot of people in our position worldwide who are considering going to some of the world's best universities that are located in uh, the U.S. And it brought up a conversation with, is it worth it? Because all this visa trouble and the traveling, it certainly makes it a lot dangerous for international students to go, even though international students take the brunt of college college tuition due to the lack of, and provide scholarships to a lot of American students. 
And I guess the thing is also right now, the um, U.S. Um, embassies and consulates around the world are operating on mission critical and we don't know when it's going to be um, alleviated. So I know many, I personally know many people who have like their plans that they worked hard for in the past four years have been thrown up in the air because they don't know what's going to happen in the next two weeks. That's facts. Uh, so we'll just briefly touch over healthcare, race relations, and climate change before giving our final thoughts. I think it's great that Biden has a actual plan set out, unlike Trump. So it's definitely something to consider. Like these voters need to also understand, like to make sure, like they're not voting in blindly and they're staying educated while they're voting. So ha- Biden having a like a greater plan to like deal with COVID definitely helps his side. And I think with the coronavirus, this need for universal healthcare is like being understood by both sides because like while Republicans were against the idea of universal healthcare because it was spending the much needed tax dollars in a way that wasn't needed, I think with the pandemic, it brings up a good discussion on is universal healthcare still relevant and how needed it is right now. Yeah, and I believe the United States ironically spends the most off most of, of compared to the vast majority of um, developed countries on healthcare per capita and yet um, quality and universality still lags behind many other developed countries so there definitely needs to be healthcare reform of course one thing that's going to be hard to change is that many Americans living most especially in the countryside have a certain mentality about why should I pay for someone else's health care that other developed countries do not have. So it's all. it also takes a huge cultural, psychological, and mental change. Uh, finally, just talking about climate change, which uh, Biden, in a very staunch, has staunch standpoint on and has pledged a $2, million, $2 trillion plan to support climate change in a stark difference from Trump, who pulled out of the Paris Agreement. I do remember when Trump said that climate change was a hoax created by the Chinese to make American manufacturing look bad. That is true. And it seems like he still holds that, like, given his policies, it seems he still holds a similar stance until now. Exactly, but if we consider this entire impact of climate change, global pandemics, and just a looming financial recession and the fact that we all can work from home it is possible to have a much lower carbon footprint as we saw in lockdowns i think a lot of different governments have are considering the discussion that they can do more about climate change and i think it's time the u.s does as well it's not just the fact that the U.S. can should be doing more for climate change though it's that this proposed plan would create millions and millions of jobs um, blue-collar jobs, right, Who some of them who have been hit the hardest by the coronavirus layoffs, especially due to quarantining, right? Like, one of the things, if this plan is actually put into action, it would make him almost like a successor to FDR in exactly. how he recovered from the Great Depression. I think we've discussed a lot uh, with this podcast, and it's time to conclude. Uh, we just want to remind everyone of the importance of voting and how your vote, like how little it may seem, actually will count towards the final count and 
how voting if everyone votes it'll dras- it can drastically change the ballots and so remember to vote especially if you're a US citizen it's also really important to stay informed and educated about each of the candidates so you ensure to ensure that you're doing the right decision of your country try to keep your biases in check and yeah exactly i mean this uh, voting is a civic responsibility and a right in all in one and i think we must use it wisely by voting for actual candidates rather than right giving in writing ballots of candidates like Kanye West do not waste your vote for a joke it's not going to make anything funny yes and um of course if you're a us citizen listening to this go on vote.gov right now Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it and make sure you look out for the final podcast with the World Club.